While our Lord Jesus was still in Jerusalem, one night he received a visit from a man called Nicodemus. The passage that we read together looks at the conversation that they had that night. The first thing I would like to look at is Nicodemus the man. It tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. I'm sure that today, with the knowledge that we have, when we think of the name Pharisee, we think of negative things. If I was to call you a Pharisee, I don't think you would take that as a compliment. But we have to understand that the Pharisees were the rulers of the Jewish people. To belong to this party was the strictest party on Judaism. These people were proud people. These people were moral people. They lived by the strictest set of rules possible. The Pharisee was a person of great learning. They would even boast of how good and how great their learning would be. You see, holding the title of a Pharisee was a title of honour among the Jews. Sadly, through time, these Pharisees would become greatly opposed to Christ. They would be opposed to his teaching. They would be opposed to his work. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The second thing that we read of is that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. That is, that Nicodemus was a chief person among the Jews. He would have belonged to the Sahedron, the highest court of justice in the land, the supreme council in Jerusalem. And it tells us that Nicodemus belonged to this party also. In verse 10 of our reading, Christ refers to him as Israel's teacher. This man taught Israel. Nicodemus was a famous teacher and instructor of the Jews. Art thou Israel's teacher? That is what Christ asks him. You see, Nicodemus occupied an important post within the Jews. He was a teacher of the law. He was one who professed to be light to them that sat in darkness. Nicodemus was an established teacher among 
the Pharisees. This was the man that came to our Lord that night. The second thing I would like to look at is Nicodemus as the inquirer. A lot of people who look at Nicodemus say that he came, he approached our Lord with great fear. He was a fearful man. But was he fearful? I am not sure. Credence can be given to this line of thought. Because in scripture, each time that Nicodemus is mentioned, the words who came to Jesus at night is added to his name. It's always mentioned. And many will conclude that they had a man here stressing his fear of the people, stressing that he may well have been ashamed of Christ. Was Nicodemus then influenced by the fear of others? Was he afraid what others would say? Would he be afraid that if they knew that he came to Jesus? Was he afraid that they would report it back to the Pharisees? This could answer why he came at night. So others wouldn't be there. No one would be aware of this conversation. This man may have felt shame that a great teacher of the Jews, a man like Nicodemus, would become a scholar, descend to the ranks of a pupil, to be taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. But we could simply say that his business was urgent. That he took the earliest opportunity to speak with our Lord Jesus. And perhaps he could have been a man of business. And the only time he had was to come to Jesus at night. Or maybe he thought rationally and logically about things. And he realized that during the day, the crowds would be there, always wanting to talk with Christ and to hear his words. And maybe coming at night would be better, where less people would be around, and his conversation it would be less likely to be interrupted. I'll let you decide on that. But whatever the reason, if we feel that he was fearful... We should not be too critical of Nicodemus. Even if his first steps towards Christ were taken with great fear. I was thinking about this and I'm sure I could join him. And I'm sure there are many others here tonight that could join him also. That our first steps towards Christ were probably accompanied with great fear also. We're looking at a book on Wednesday nights, Honest Evangelism by Rico Trice. And the first chapter goes into great depth of that fear that people have of witnessing 
for Christ. It is real. Fear is a real thing. And we shouldn't be too critical of Nicodemus. Our Lord does not break that bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. Despite the fear, Christ will welcome. He welcomed Nicodemus. And he was pleased to have a conversation with him. Nicodemus may have been fearful, but we can say with greater certainty that Nicodemus was respectful of our Lord. If we notice how he approaches him, first word he says is rabbi. Rabbi. This was a term of dignity. This was a term of respect. Nicodemus spoke honourably of our Lord. He addresses him with this term of dignity and of respect. He looks up to our Lord. Maybe something like pastor, teacher of today. A term of respect within the church we would use from time to time. Nicodemus was familiar with this term called rabbi because he knew the respect that it held. He knew the honour attached to such a title because I am sure there were people out there that greeted him exactly the same way. And Nicodemus greets our Lord with the same respect that people had for him. And the third thing is that he realised that Christ was someone special. For he says it here, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We know. This could mean two things. It could be that it's a commonly held few among the people, a few held among the Jews and others. These convictions that Nicodemus had that Christ had come from God. Or maybe he simply spoke in the plural to avoid a singular use of a term. Because if we are fearful and have to bring news to someone which is unpleasant, we have that tendency to almost speak in the plural, we think, when in reality it's something of my own conviction. But we don't know. But he knew, he says, you're a teacher come from God. And this shows the state of Nicodemus's mind towards Christ. He knew that the Lord Jesus was someone remarkable. I am not sure, but maybe he had heard the teachings of John the Baptist and how John had told them that one greater than him was coming. And maybe Nicodemus, on observation, has maybe put it together and applied this 
to Christ. Why did he think this? Because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He was convinced of Christ because of his miracles. It was the miracles that our Lord was doing that arrested his attention. It gave evidence to Nicodemus of his divine mission. By his miracles, Nicodemus knew that Christ was no ordinary person. He knew that the course of nature could not be altered by anyone but God. He sees that at, in chapter 2, it speaks of Nicodemus in verse 23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem, that is the Lord Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. I believe that Nicodemus was watching and he realized that Christ was no ordinary person. And this is consistent with the witness that the Father had sent him. These were marks of his mission. We read it in John 5, verse 36. The works testified to Christ. We read again in John 10, verse 25, the same thing. We read again in John 15 and verse 24, that his works bore witness that the Father had sent him. Christ was in possession of special gifts and graces from God beyond that of an ordinary gift that God gives to man. This is what convicted him that the Lord Jesus was divinely sent or divinely commissioned. Like those prophets of the Old Testament, the miracles were the seal of his doctrine. And God was the author of these miracles. The Apostle Paul said that his apostleship was confirmed by signs and wonders. Nicodemus knew that Christ stood in a close relationship with God to be able to do the miracles that he performed. So with a sincere quest for truth, with a deep religious hunger, with a desire to be taught, Nicodemus, maybe fearful, frankly declares his conviction about the Christ. Nicodemus, the message from Christ. What is it that our Lord Jesus says to him? I would like to take an overview of this conversation that Christ had with Nicodemus. I feel that it can be profitable just to understand what Christ has really said to, the, to Nicodemus here. <coughs> So broadly speaking, what does Christ say to Nicodemus? 
Well, our Lord Jesus says two things. The first part is found in verses 3 through to 9. And I believe that we don't need the theologians or the commentators to tell us what our Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. It says here in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We read in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I emphasize the word born. It's mentioned numerous times in these verses. There is an importance here of being born again. Born of God. Born of his spirit. Born from above. For without it, we cannot see the kingdom of God. In a word... Our Lord Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about the doctrine of regeneration. You must be born again. And he stresses the importance of this. Then we find he speaks to him about something else. We find it from verse number 13. And again, it's self-explanatory. We see it here in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is an importance here put on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. For it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have eternal life. We have everlasting life. We we are not condemned By God, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is an emphasis, an importance placed on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you ask me what doctrine this is, we could say he's speaking here of the doctrine of justification by faith alone in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the two truths that our Lord speaks to Nicodemus. What I'd like to look at next is the importance of this 
message. The answer that our Lord gives to Nicodemus. I remember when I was younger, naively, I thought that maybe there was a couple of verses missing. For he didn't seem to answer the question on Nicodemus's lips. Thou art a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, it seems like as so though he's not answering the question posed in verse 2. But I believe that the Lord looked beyond that question. And he told Nicodemus the truth that he needed to hear. You see, our Lord knew all men. We read that in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Our Lord knew all men. He knew what was in men. Christ knew Nicodemus. He knew Nicodemus' heart. He knew his mind. He knew all about Nicodemus. And he told him those things that he really needed to know. And that is consistent with our Lord's ministry. In the next chapter, in chapter 4, he meets that woman at the Sychar's well. And he starts speaking of living water. And as that conversation progresses, and she asks for this living water, he says, go, get thy husband. And what he was doing here was he was exposing the morality problem that this woman had. And then we can read again when that rich young ruler came. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then our Lord says, one thing you lack, sell everything and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. But that rich young ruler went away saddened. Because he loved his possessions and wealth more than he loved God. Again, our Lord told him what he needed to hear. And likewise with Nicodemus, these were great truths that Nicodemus needed to hear. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 gives us a classical insight into the teaching of the Jews, into that mindset of the Pharisee. And although Paul speaks about himself, I believe that these words could be taken on by any of the Pharisees or Jewish people of the day. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 5. He says this, and this is something that these people would boast in. He says circumcised. I'll just stop there with that first word. Circumcised. Circumcision was a token in the flesh of God's covenant relationship with his people. Israel. The Jew would have been proud of their circumcision. Paul was proud of his circumcision. And I believe that Nicodemus would have been exactly the same. For he came from the same kind of background. 
This was a sign in the flesh of that covenant relationship that God had with his people Israel. And not only does it say that he was circumcised, but it says he was circumcised the eighth day. A careful reading of scripture will tell us that the first person recorded in scripture to be circumcised on the eighth day was Isaac. We read in Genesis 17 and verse 21 about the institution of circumcision. It tells us that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. It tells us that his son Ishmael was 13 years old. And then in chapter 21 and verse 4 it tells us that Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day. Ishmael circumcised in his 13th year. Isaac on his eighth day. Ishmael was the son of a bondwoman. Isaac, the son of promise. It was Isaac who was the heir of Abraham. It was Isaac who received the promises given to his father Abraham. And by being circumcised on the eighth day, the Pharisee Nicodemus Paul, where they were aligning themselves with Isaac, the promised seed and rightful heir, to Abraham. I'm sure you know where this is going now. The next little phrase says, of the people of Israel. Israel was the name that God had given to Jacob. And Jacob it was who was a rightful heir of Isaac. He fulfilled those promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac were fulfilled in Jacob. And by being of the nation of Israel, this identifies himself with Jacob and not with Esau. Ishmael and Esau had as much claim to calling Abraham their father in a natural sense. But it was through Jacob and Esau, or Isaac and Jacob, sorry, that God fulfilled his promises to Abraham. And this man, Nicodemus, belonged to that chosen line. You see, the first two things speak of the correct bloodline. The next two shows the purity of that line. For he goes on and he says of the tribe of Benjamin. See, intermarriage with Gentile nations it would be so easy for a practicing Jew to lose their tribal identity. It was in the days of Moses, he rebuked the Israelites for allowing their sons to marry the daughters of Cana and taking the daughters of Cana to marry their sons and vice versa, for their daughters to marry the sons of Cana. And the result of this intermarrying would be that a practicing Israelite would have mixed blood. And sometimes it would make it difficult or even impossible to know which of the tribes that they belong to after a succession of this intermarrying. Not the case here with Paul. His line was pure. And then he says a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now he takes it 
from the other side, from himself working back. His parents were both Jews. His grandparents would be the same. And as far back as he could trace, they were all Hebrews. And I believe that Nicodemus was proud of this also. He was proud that he was circumcised and not on the eighth day. He would have been proud that he belonged to the nation of Israel. He would have been proud of his tribal identity. He would have been proud that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Nicodemus had a really, a very privileged birth. But the problem was, the problem he had was that he believed that he was part of God's own covenanted people as a result of his natural birth. We've had many children born into families of the church. And I believe that a child brought up in a Christian family, well, that's a good thing. Because they will be taught the things of the Bible. If they have godly parents, they will be prayed for. They could have godly grandparents who will have that positive influence on them. But it is no good if they don't come to a saving knowledge of Christ for themselves. You see, it's not our natural birth that profits. Are we born of God? And you see, This gross error that Nicodemus had needed to be addressed and corrected. So our Lord Jesus compassionately speaks to him of the doctrine of regeneration. He showed Nicodemus that his natural birth, however privileged it was, was insufficient to make him part of God's own people. For this to happen... He needed to be born again. He needed to be born of the Spirit. He needed to be born of God. The second doctrine that Christ preached was the doctrine of justification by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He belonged to the strictest and straightest sect of Judaism. They held an outward conformity to the law. They even added other observances in order to protect the law of God. So strict was their outward observance of the law that they would almost interpret that as being blameless. He could in no way be accused of breaking God's law. This man Nicodemus and his party of Pharisees would have believed that they were, they had obtained some kind of righteousness from themselves. They had high thoughts of themselves. And by the Jews, they would have been held in very high esteem as a direct result of this holy life that they were living. But the problem was, however, It was not with a good, upright life. It's not with having a good, moral lifestyle, but what it means to Nicodemus. It is good that people live a good life. 
They're law-abiding. They will help people. Good morals. Good principles. These things are good. But Nicodemus took it a step further. He believed that by this, he had obtained a righteousness with God by his own works. He believed that he was justified in the eyes of God by his good works. This is a tragic error. This is an error that even lives on today where people believe that they are good enough. You see, the Pharisee externalized their religion. They held to a salvation by works and a justification before God by their good works. Christ again needed to correct this error. And what better way to do that than to speak of justification by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord reminds Nicodemus, he tells him that it is to believe on him, to believe on the Christ, you will receive eternal life. By believing on Christ, you will have, you will not be condemned by God. However, if we do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we reject him, we shall perish. We shall be condemned of God if we do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not by our own works that we are justified, but we are justified by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then finally, I would like to look at the outcome of this conversation. What happened next? We read in scripture of many men who were spoken to, witnessed to. Paul spoke to a man called Felix, and it tells us that Felix trembled. He spoke to King Agrippa. He was almost persuaded. But we read nothing more of these men in Scripture. But thankfully, we read of two further occasions in Scripture about this man, Nicodemus. The first one is found in John chapter 7. We read of Nicodemus this time. He speaks up in defense of our Lord Jesus against the Pharisees. A little bit of light coming through as he speaks in defense of our Lord. And then more is said. The last time we read of this man, Nicodemus, in Scripture, is when he, along with another man, Joseph of Arimathea, they go to Pilate and they ask for the body of Christ. He had just died on the cross. And Nicodemus, with Joseph of Arimathea, comes, takes the body of Christ in order to give him a dignified burial. No longer can we accuse this man of being fearful. But now he comes in broad daylight and he identifies himself with the Lord as he takes his body and gives him a dignified burial. 
An amazing thing at this time is that those who should have given our Lord that dignified burial, those who were nearest and dearest to our Lord while he walked on this earth, I'm referring to his disciples. Where were they? We read of one, Judas Iscariot, had betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver and later had gone out and hung himself. Another man, Simon Peter, well, he had denied him three times ever knowing him. And that with cursing also. And the rest of them, it tells us, had fled and forsaken Christ. And it was at this time, this time, that Nicodemus identified himself with Christ. And why? Because I believe that this man, this conversation he had, came home to Nicodemus. Because he realized the error of his ways. He realized the futility of this birth. However privileged it was, that would no way would it make him part of God's own covenanted people. He knew that his birth, however privileged it was, would never make him right with God. He knew he needed to be born of God. He also realized that he could never be justified by his own works. And then he came and did as our Lord Jesus said and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus for his salvation. And then he could say he was born again. He was born of the Spirit of God. And this just shows when he went to the cross and took the body of his Lord and gave him a dignified burial because he had come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Perhaps before we go to the table, we'll have just another song.